right, good evening, everyone. Good to have everybody with us tonight. It's almost a shame that we have to be indoors at such a nice uh, day outside, but I'm afraid if we had class outside, we'd get up, get ate up by the little black flies and no seems. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, well, let's go ahead and uh, start off with a uh, word of prayer. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is once again to uh, be out in your house and be among your people and to open up your word. Uh, it's not just black and white words on a page. These are words of life. You said that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing even soul and spirit. And, and Lord, you know the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And your word is life. Uh, you even told Moses when you gave him the law that, that this is your life, this is what you live by, and this is your life's blood. This is, it's, so, it's so amazing. No other book on the planet is like it. You know, we can't get what we can get out of the Word uh, reading Moby Dick or, or Charles Dickens or uh, even other religious writings uh, such as, as the Quran or, or, you know, things that have been attributed to the Buddha or Confucius. Your words are the only words that are true and, and the only words that contain life. So, Lord, they're so important. We ask that you would open up our hearts and our minds uh, so that we can understand your word. And not only that we can understand it, but we can apply it to our hearts and our lives and our minds. That we could walk out these doors and start living what we've, what we've read and what we've been taught. So we invite your Holy Spirit, which is our teacher, which is our comforter. Uh, I'm just a vessel that, that, that just speaks the word. And I just pray, Lord, that the words that come out of my mouth will be your words and not my own. And uh, I just pray that you would use me tonight for the honor and glory of your name and that your Holy Spirit would go out and prepare uh, the hearts of, of everybody that's here, even including myself, because as I'm teaching, I'm learning as well. And when I study, I, I, I gain more than, than I knew before. And it's such a privilege to, to share what you've shown me and what I've learned with these people. And uh, so, Lord, bless your word. Bless the reading of your word. We love you and we thank you and we ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Well, we have a special uh, uh, a person attending our class tonight. Uh, this is my mother, Ruth Shoemaker, all the way from uh, Mansfield, Ohio. Well, she's in Galleon, Ohio now. Uh, so she came up for Ariana's graduation, and, and my great niece is here, but she's, she's hanging out with Ariana. So, uh, all right. Well, before we get into the text, there's a couple things I'd like to read. First of all, the memory verse for this chapter, Proverbs 133, but he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. And uh, I'm reading this really great book. I'm over halfway through it. It's by Joe Horn, and it's called Everyday Champions. Unleash the gifts God gave you, uh, step into your purpose, and fulfill your destiny. So this gentleman is talking about the gifts of the Spirit, but the little-known gifts of the Spirit. I mean, we all, we all talk, you know, hear about speaking in tongues and, and miracles and you know, all these fantastic gifts that are listed. But the lesser-known, the uncomely members of the body, so to speak, he focuses in on those gifts. Like some people have a gift of encouragement, you know, encouraging other people. People don't think that's a gift, but it is. So it's a really great book, and he said something about the difference between knowledge and wisdom. And I want to read that to you because it's so important to our class. Because Proverbs, I wouldn't even dare guess how many times the word knowledge and how many times the word wisdom 
is in Proverbs, but it's, it's in virtually every chapter. It's probably in every other verse. So it's important that we understand and know the difference, and I really like what he had to say. Uh, so the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. The difference between wisdom and knowledge is distinct, but the words have historically supported the same purpose. They are related, but not synonymous. Whereas knowledge is obtained a collection of data and facts through study and research, for instance. Wisdom is the ability to discern and or judge right from wrong and true from false. It's most commonly gained through life experience and maturity. An old adage says, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, while wisdom is knowing not to put it in your fruit salad. Makes sense, right? That's, that's pretty good. That sums it up pretty good, the difference between wisdom and knowledge. And uh, it's, it's used so much in the book of Proverbs, I thought it would be really good to share that with you to kind of help us understand the difference. Whereas knowledge is obtaining facts and wisdom is actually taking those facts and knowing how to use them, how to uh, appropriate them. So let's go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 1. And uh, we left off uh, at verse 22, but I kind of want to start with verse 20 because that kind of sets the stage up for verse 22. Um, in my Bible, uh, verse 22 starts a whole new section that the New American Standard Bible has chosen to um, head as wisdom warns. So we covered 20 and 21 last week, so I want to kind of read that to kind of gear us up for uh, verse 22. It says, wisdom shouts in the streets. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. Now on to verse 22, which is what we're going to start out with tonight. How long, O naive ones, will you love simplicity? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools Hate knowledge. So we'll just take it uh, word by word and, and, and uh, little by little here and take our time going through this. So it says, how long, O naive ones, will you love simplicity? How long will you love simplicity? So it's talking about somebody who is naive, and that word naive also means somebody who's simple. And a lot of times uh, the word simple has been a very polite word to talk about somebody who has a mental disability. You know, maybe somebody, their IQ is not quite, they're kind of Forrest Gumpish, you know, their IQ is not quite at the level that it should be. And uh, so this is what this word means. It means somebody that's simple, somebody that's naive, or yeah, naive. And naive, it's also somebody that may be a little gullible. You know, somebody that's, that's ready to believe almost anything. I remember a girl in Bible college, it was funny because, uh, a lot of the Canadians from here came down to the Bible College in Nashville, and uh, they were able to pull, pull the wool over some people's eyes because some people, especially if they live down in Georgia and Alabama and Florida and in and, and the southern states, they have no idea what Canada is about. They think we all live in igloos, you know, <laughs> and we, we, we ride sled dogs back and forth, to, you know. So, uh, you know, sometimes the Canadians would just kind of really, you know, get people that were gullible, that were naive. 
And uh, uh, they would ask, well, what's it like in Canada? Oh, oh, it's very cold. It snows all the time. And we live in igloos. And this one girl, she's like, really? You know, she was like really sucking it in, you know, really believing it. Yeah, yeah, we all live in igloos. And, and we don't have any cars up there. We, we ride sled dogs. <gasps> really? You know, and so we had to kind of let her down easy to let her know that we were just joshing with her, you know, and just pulling her leg. But that's what, that's what it's saying here. It says, oh, how long, oh, naive ones, Will you love simplicity? Will you love being simple? Will you love being uneducated? Uh, simplicity, uh, another word for simplicity, um, it says here, uh, well, it, 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 it again, it brings that uh, somebody who, uh, naivety, naivety. Oh, how long, naive ones, will you love simplicity? This reminds me of the old saying that ignorance is bliss. To me, I think it sums it up really well. Because people, sometimes people like to be ignorant. They like to be naive because they think if they're naive, they think if they're ignorant, they think that gets them off the hook when they do something wrong. But just because you're ignorant or naive regarding what the speed limit is on any particular highway or residential neighborhood, if you break the speed limit, whether you know you're breaking the speed limit or not, you get pulled over, guess what? You're gonna be held accountable and responsible for that ignorance, for that naivety, for that simplicity. He's gonna give you a ticket anyway. So you can't, oh, oh, officer, I didn't know. Well, now you know. It was, a, it was an, it's, it's an expensive lesson to learn. Here's your ticket. Go see the judge. Um, in Bible college, we had what's called freshman ignorance. Yes, we were all given a handbook, a student handbook that had all the rules, but a lot of times we would do stuff wrong on purpose and claim, oh, I didn't know freshman ignorance. I'm new here. Sometimes that would fly, sometimes it didn't. <laughs> All right, so um, how long, O oh naive ones, will you love your simplicity? So it implies that the common people are simple and naive and ignorant because its leaders, if we uh, reference the verses above, because its leaders who meet in the city gates and squares are also ignorant. So this word um, uh, simple in the Hebrew also means silly or foolish. So it also means naive, naive it means simple, and it's referring to IQ, but it just seems, it, it just talks about somebody who's just silly and foolish all the time. Have you ever met somebody or known somebody who you just couldn't, they, they weren't serious. They were all the time fooling around and all the time just being silly and foolish because maybe they like the attention or they just really didn't know how to interact socially. And sometimes you wanted to shake them by the shoulders and just say, hey, smarten up, you know? Can't you, know, can't you be serious about anything? That's kind of what the Hebrew is further implying here. And uh, so how long will you love your simplicity or your naivety or your gullibility, your foolishness? How, how, how long will you uh, love it? Uh, the word love, uh, it, it actually means friendship. It, it ranges from friendship to intimacy. So it could be something as just kind of friendly banter or just camaraderie all the way to intimacy, which, you know, is when you're intimate with somebody, you know somebody inside and out. You know, it's not just that you know them on a first name basis. You don't, you, it's not just that you know them as an acquaintance. You know, you know everything about them. If you were playing a game show and, and you know, you had to ask, answer questions about each other, you would get them all right because you knew so much about each other. So that's the word love here. 
So how long, O naive ones, will you love simplicity? Will you be friendly and jovial with this simplicity to the point that you're intimate with this simplicity? You just love being stupid. You love being dumb. You love being foolish. You love being ignorant. That's what it's talking about here. So wisdom is calling these simple ones out on the carpet saying, are you, are you going to live the rest of your life this way? Is this the way you really want to live your life? So the second part of this verse says, and scoffers delight themselves in scoffing. Scoffers delight themselves in scoffing. Now the word scoffers uh, is the Hebrew word lutz. Does that word sound familiar maybe to you at all? Lutz? It's actually a last name. It's a Jewish last name. Um, there is a, a group of people whose last name is Lutz. And, you know, usually they have a reputation for being called Lutz because they're very smart alecky. They're very snarky. They're very sarcastic. You know, they, they just, they, they love that verbal banter and to bash somebody verbally. They're scoffing. They're mocking. So, you know, their ancestor was called Lutz. And the name stuck. So that's what it means. And uh, so it says, uh, and scoffers delight themselves in scoffing. These scoffers, you know who they remind me of today? They remind me of the late night talk show hosts and the political satire talk show hosts. They're scoffers. They're lutzes. Because they're always making fun of the good, the wholesome. They're always making fun of those people who stick to, con to, to conservative values, who stick to morality, who stick to right and wrong, who stick to Judeo-Christian values. And so because they're very liberal-minded, very loose-minded, they make fun and they scoff and they lutz at everything that, you know, they, it's foolishness, it's silliness to them to be, to be conservative, to be holy, to be righteous, to be a Judeo-Christian. Uh, is, is, is insanity to them. And they scoff because it's like, you, you guys are old fuddy-duddies. Uh, you, you guys are behind the times. Get with the program. You know, people don't believe the way you do anymore. You guys are dinosaurs. And they just make fun of us because we're holding on to our convictions. And guess what? They love to scoff. Why do they love to scoff? Because they're making money being a scoffer. They're making, they're making money being sarcastic. They're making money making fun of conservatives and Judeo-Christians and people that have a, a, a moral compass. So when I look at this word scoffer, look at this word lutz, that's who that reminds me of. That's who comes to mind. And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing. And it's usually people who you know, go to these big Ivy League schools. Or, you know, maybe they have a university education and they have a bachelor's degree or a master's degree or a Ph.D. They think that they're the smartest person in the room. And, you know, it's one thing to have book smarts. But it's a whole other thing to have common sense. You can have all the book smarts you want, but if you don't have common sense, how are you going to apply the book smarts? And I'm even seeing this in, in, in Christian colleges and Christian universities where they are so educated and so intellectual and they know Hebrew and they know Greek and they know all these things about theology, deep theological things, but yet there's no room for the Holy Spirit. Because a lot of times the things they learn, they're learning from secular archaeologists. They're learning from secular people that, that are atheist or agnostic or don't believe in God. And so they don't leave any room for the Holy Spirit to say, reveal to me, Lord, what, what does this word mean? Or what do you mean by this in your scripture? 
They just they 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 bank more on their own understanding and more on their intellectual smarts. To me, you've got to have a balance. I'm not against book learning because I loved Bible college, and if I could be a professional college student, I would. I'd never stop going to school because. So, and and after I think I've learned more outside of college than I did in, because. You know, back then in college, you read because you had to, right? You were forced to read books maybe you weren't too excited about, and you had to take classes maybe that weren't, didn't thrill you, but you did it to get your education, and I enjoyed it, but now I get to read books that I want to read. So I'm, I'm usually reading three to four books on the go all at the same time because I love to read, and I love to learn. But you know what? That's great, but if I didn't have the Holy Spirit as my guide to filter the things I read— just think how mucked my mind could be. And that's what happens when we send our young people away to colleges and universities. They don't always go to a Christian college. They may be the, 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 the strongest person in their youth group. They may be the most upstanding Christian young man or woman. And then we send them off to a secular college, a secular university, and they get brainwashed with all of the uh, secular things and all the, the liberal things and, and the, the, the modern ethics. And then they come back agnostic at, at best and atheist at worst. And then they start accepting all these things that are immoral. And we're like, what happened to them? You know, because they, they, they didn't filter what they were learning in college through the scriptures and they weren't filtering what they were learning uh, through the Holy Spirit. So when I read a book, whether it's the Bible or whether it's anything else, I'm like, Lord, guide my thinking. Because I'm sure that these people will have some very convincing arguments. These people will, you know, will, will, will sound like they know what they're talking about and sound, you know, and they could probably convince me pretty easily. But I want to be guided by your Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit never fails. Have you ever heard the saying, I got a check in my spirit? Sometimes when you're reading something and it's saying, oh, this is true, and then in your spirit, you're like, oh, it just, you get, you, you feel funny. You don't feel right. You feel like something's off. You feel like something's wrong. You feel like something's missing. And that causes you to research what you just read a little bit further. Come to find out, ah, that isn't true. You get a check in your spirit. The Holy Spirit's like, put on the brakes, hold it. Don't swallow this hook and line and sinker. Study it out. And I love what the Apostle Paul said in his letter in one of his letters to the Bereans. He's like, hey, I'm preaching to you Jesus Christ from the Torah, from the Tanakh, from the Old Testament scriptures, but don't take my word for it. Go back later and read for yourself to see if what I'm saying is true. And I love that because Paul is opening the door to say, well, I'm an apostle, see? I have the title, and I met the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, and great things happened to me, and I used to persecute the church, and I was next in, I studied under Gamaliel who's even in the Jewish Talmud. And he, you know, I, I, was, I was ready to go on to the Sanhedrin, but I got converted. So I know what I'm talking about. He could have banked on his credentials and he could have bragged himself up to the people and said, just trust me, take my word for it. But he said, no, go look through the scriptures yourself to see what I'm saying is true. Paul the apostle was very educated, not only in Judaism and in Jewish things, but he was educated in secular things. He could talk on any level. Mars Hill, for example, he saw that idol to the unknown God, you know, and he was able to talk with the Greek philosophers. 
And he knew some of their poets and knew some of their writings. So he was a well-read, well-learned, well-educated man. But I guarantee you, he just didn't take everything he read as gospel truth. He, he, he filtered it through the Holy Word, through the scriptures, through, through his, Judeo, his Jewish worldview. And we need, we need to do the exact same thing because if we don't, then we too might become Lutzes. We too might become scoffers. We too might actually become uh, simple because we're just believing the first thing that, that we hear. So I, I think there needs to be a great balance between uh, higher education and learning and, and balancing it out with the Holy Spirit. Did you have a question, brother? I do. Yeah. I've been thinking throughout this side that everybody does not know whether they're an atheist or agnostic. Are you saying or they're different or what's the difference? Great question. Great question. An agnostic is a wimpy atheist, whereas an agnostic says, well, I'm not sure if there's a God or not. There could be a God, but we can't know for sure. I'm open-minded for there to be a God, but, I, but we just don't know for sure. Whereas an atheist says, bottom line, there's no God. Does that, does that help answer the question? Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, the kids will come back from college, full believers. Holy Ghost-filled believers, good upstanding young people, and then they get brainwashed through the educational system, and then they're agnostic. We're like, well, we can't really say for sure if there's a God. And then sometimes they just go atheist and humanistic in their views and philosophies. Okay. How long, O naive ones, will you love simplicity and scoffers delight themselves in scoffing? So we've, we've kind of all uh, understand that. And, and the scoffer, the word scoffer could also mean a heckler. Do you know what a heckler is? Like a, you know, like uh, in a political, uh, like, you know, let's say there's a political convention and the politician's up there, you know, giving his spiel, saying what he's going to do and whatever. And somebody in, in the audience is heckling him like, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, we'd like to see that happen or making fun of him. And then sometimes you see it in comedy clubs where maybe the comedian is really bombing. You know, he's not really keeping the, 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 the crowd in stitches and they're losing interest and they're like, man, you, you stink. And they start heckling him and he gets real nervous and runs off the stage. So that's what scoffer means too. Somebody that heckles, somebody that mocks. A scoffer, that's what a scoffer is. So how long, O oh naive ones, will you love simplicity and scoffers delight themselves in scoffing and fools hate knowledge? And fools hate knowledge. That word hate actually means to be an enemy of. So it's basically saying that the fool is an enemy of knowledge. He looks at knowledge as his mortal enemy, which means he's going to stay away from it. He's not going to listen to it. He's not going to trust it. There's no knowledge for the fool, right? So that's what that verse is, is saying there. And uh, how long will, will you fools hate knowledge? So... In reading this, there's three classes of people talked about in this verse. You've got the simple, which you could also say that they're, they're gullible. They'll believe anything that they hear. You've got the scoffer, which the scoffer is kind of the know-it-all. It, it, don't you hate a know-it-all? <laughs> you know, some, it doesn't matter what subject you can bring up. The person knows something about it or thinks they know something about it. I know some people like that, and they're the most annoying people to be around. You just want to throat punch them. <laughs> So there's the simple, there's the scoffer, which is a know-it-all, and then there's a fool. Now, a fool is somebody who's ignorant of truth. They're ignorant, and they actually like being ignorant. 
So the simple are gullible, the scoffers are know-it-alls, and the fools are ignorant. All right, moving on to uh, verse 23. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you, and I will make my words known to you. So this is wisdom pleading and crying out to the scoffer, pleading and crying out to the foolish one, pleading and crying out to the simple one and to the foolish. Turn to my reproof. Now the word turn is the word, the Hebrew word shuv. And it's a very familiar word in Judaism because, uh, you know, we in, in, in Christendom, uh, when we're talking about hellfire and brimstone and we're talking about evangelists and we're talking about revival and getting people saved, we say, repent, repent. And in Hebrew, it's teshuva, and it means repent. But the Hebrew word teshuva, where we get the word shuv, it means to turn around. It means to do a 180. Now, we all know what a 180 is. You know, let's say that I'm walking down the aisle, out, heading out the doors of this church, and I stop in my tracks and do a 180 and walk back up towards the stage. That's what a 180 is. It's just going in the opposite direction that you were originally going in. And so this is what wisdom is saying to the fool, to the scoffer, and to the simple one. They're saying, turn, stop in your tracks, and just turn around. Do an about face. That's another good word for it, a good way to put it. Do an about face to my reproof. So reproof uh, means um, it, it, it means justifiable. It means ar it's a good argument. So it says, do an about face and listen to my argument. Listen to my justifiable argument. Listen to my apologetics. Now, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the word apologetics, but apologetics is a, a, a very big word in Christian intellectual circles. So we all as believers need to try to be apologeticist. Now, being an apologeticist doesn't mean that you apologize for being a Christian or you don't apologize for what you believe. But what it means is that you give an answer to those who inquire the hope that is within you. That's what an apologist is or apologetics. It's basically knowing what you believe and why you believe it. Being able to, to uh, speak intelligently and spirit-filled to an agnostic or to an atheist or to a Muslim or to a Jehovah's Witness or to, you know, uh, just the everyday Joe. So, because some people will have a lot of questions about your faith. You know, well, who is Jesus? Why did he have to die? What does salvation mean? What does justification mean? What's sanctification? Why do, you, why do you believe this way? Why do you do this and why do you do that? So being an apologeticist is having an answer. And, you know, that seems pretty daunting. Well, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not very well schooled. I'm not very well educated. I'm a, I'm a simple person. That's okay. You know, you, you don't have to have an, a big education to be an apologeticist. There's some things that you will automatically know because of your relationship with, with, with the Lord. There'll be things that you automatically know because you've spent much of your life in church and, and those are just cardinal, foundational, everybody knows these kind of things. But then there'll be some questions that people will ask and it'll throw you th for a loop and you'll go into panic mode and you'll be like, um, uh, it's okay to say I don't know. It's perfectly fine and okay to say I don't know. I'm a pastor. I've got a college education. And I certainly don't know everything, and sometimes people throw me for a loop when they ask a question. And I'll just stop and I'm like, whoa, wow. You know, I've never thought of that. That's a really good question. To be perfectly honest with you, I don't know the answer, but let me research that and I'll get back with you. 
That's all you have to say. Plain and simple. So wisdom is wanting to be this apologeticist to the fool, to the scoffer, and, and, and to the naive one. So it says, do an about face and turn to my reproof. Turn to my, my, my apologetical argument, my justifiable, believable you know, defense. Uh, it, it could also mean to rebuke or to chastise in the sense that you're rebuking and chastising their foolishness, uh, you know, how they got things wrong. Turn to my reproof, and behold, I will pour out my spirit upon you. I will pour out my spirit upon you. That word pour in the English just makes me think of somebody having a Kool-Aid pitcher and just pouring out the water. But the Hebrew word is much more powerful than that. It's not just pouring it out like you're pouring out a glass of water or a jug of milk. This word pour actually means to erupt. So it says, behold, I will, I will erupt like a volcano. I will erupt like a geyser. That's, that's what this word pour means in the Hebrew. To erupt like a volcano or to erupt like a geyser. So it says, turn to my argument or turn to my reproof, my apologetics, and behold, I will pour out my spirit. I will, I will gush on you like a geyser. I will gush on you my spirit. And that word spirit is the word ruach. And it means wind or breath. Wind or breath. So, and a lot of times when that word spirit, wind or breath, says the spirit of God moved over the face of the waters in Genesis. So the Spirit of God blew and, 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 and uh, uh, went through the waters. And then uh, Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came down, he came like a mighty rushing wind, a ruach, a wind. So I will gush out on you like a geyser, my spirit on you. And the Spirit is all referring to the Spirit of wisdom, talking about wisdom is talking about herself, which we know ultimately that this wisdom is none other than the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is called our teacher, our guide. That's, that's basically how we get to know and understand the Scriptures. It's not through head knowledge, but through what the Spirit reveals to us, through His Word. Behold, I will pour out my Spirit on you, and I will make my words known to you. I will make my words known to you. And that word known is that word for intimacy. It's the word yada. And it's often used in a sexual context where Adam knew, quote unquote, Eve. So that's just a polite way that the King James uses to say Adam and Eve had sexual intercourse. So it's, it's, it's that kind of intimacy. It's, it's a knowing from the inside out. I will make my words, make my words, make wisdom's words known intimately to you. You will know wisdom inside and out because i'm just going to gush out my spirit of wisdom upon you so that's what this that's what the spirit of wisdom is willing to do for the scoffer for the fool and uh for the naive one and you know i will make my my words of wisdom known to you because the it's the word yada which has that intonation of intimacy we need to have a love affair with wisdom we need to have a love affair with God. We need to have a love affair with the Holy Spirit. We need to have a love affair with his word. I mean, is there anything else that we love more than God? Is there anything else that we love more than his word? Just think about what, what, how much time you spend on certain things. Now, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with, with hobbies and activities, 
I love to watch, I love to watch uh, MMA, mixed martial arts. I love to watch one guy beat up another guy consensually. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm not going to put my MMA, my, my fan of, of the MMA sport, ahead of the Word of God. If I had the choice to watch a UFC bout and to read the Word of God, I'm probably going to read the Word of God because I get a whole lot more out of reading the Word of God than I do get out of MMA. I love Batman. Man, Batman is my favorite superhero. Batman movie comes out, I'm probably going to be the first one at the theater to see it. You know, But I'm not going to put my love of Batman and comic books and all these geeky things ahead of God. The Word of God, my personal relationship with God, that's the first thing that's on my mind when I wake up in the morning and the last thing on my mind when I go to bed. Because when I wake up in the morning, guess what I do? I get, a, I get my clothes on, get a cup of coffee, and I sit in my easy chair, and I read His Word. And then I talk to the Lord. And then when I go to bed at night, I lay my head down on the pillow, and I'm just going over my day, thanking the Lord for everything that's happened. It, 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 con it, it consumes me. Because we'll say, you're a fanatic. Well, you better believe I'm a fanatic. You know, I, I, I'm not the type to be in a stadium and scream my head off for the Bruins or for the Habs or for the Leafs. But I'm more than willing to scream my head off for the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Call me an idiot. Call me a fool. Call me a fanatic. Isn't this exactly what happened with King David? King David was so excited to have the ark, which represented God's presence and God's rule and God's authority. The ark was coming into Jerusalem. He got so excited, he threw off his clothes. He was just in his loincloth, in his undergarment. It'd be like me stripping down to my underwear and dancing around this. I wouldn't be your pastor anymore. I, I understand that. But, <laughs> but basically, David pretty much stripped down to his underwear. And he was dancing around like a madman. The ark of God is coming in. The presence of God is here. God is with us. And guess who had, who, guess who had something to say about that? Yeah, his wife, Mikhail, Saul's daughter. You look like a fool in front of all Israel. You are dancing naked in front of all these women. And he's like, you know what, woman? Go ahead and call me a fool. I'll become even more undignified than this. And guess what? She wasn't able to have children the rest of her life. That was the curse God put on her for criticizing David because of his expression of worship and his expression of love to the Lord. Are you willing to be a crazy person? Are you willing to be a fanatic for the Lord? Not saying we have to go out in the street and dance in our underwear for God, but, <laughs> but like what, if God told me to do something, I'd do it. He told the prophets to do some pretty crazy things. He told one prophet to lay on his side for so many days and turn over and lay on his side for so many more. You know, and he told the prophets to do some crazy things that you'd think, why would God do that? Yeah, Hosea, Hosea married a prostitute, Gomer. <laughs> they sure did. <laughs> uh, so, uh, wow, we got off on a really nice bunny trail there. But, you know, we, we need to be in love with God and we need to be in love with his word. And that needs to just, just to consume us. Because if we don't truly love it and we don't truly believe it, we're not going to win one soul. We're not going to convince one person. And in this day more than ever, it's harder to win people to the Lord. Because we're beginning to look like the bad guys. Because there's been so many sexual scandals in the Catholic Church. There's been so many money laundering scandals and sex scandals in the TV evangelist world. That when they see these things, because most people who are against Christianity 
the Judeo-Christian values and faith and against church, won't step foot in a church, is because of what they've seen on TV. They don't truly know us. They don't know anything about us. They just know the bad side, the negative side. So we need to show them the truth. We need to show them the right side. And the way that we do that is to walk in the footsteps of Yeshua, our Messiah, by walking and following his word, by loving other people, loving the unlovable. And you know, sometimes it, it, it's hard. It's hard to love people that maybe smell a little bad, maybe whose hygiene isn't quite up to snuff. It's easy to curl, on, curl our nose and get disgusted and walk away. But those are the exact, exactly the kind of people that we need to be loving and reaching out for the Lord. And you know what? To be perfectly honest with you, one of the most disgusting things is the LBGTQ movement. The, the homosexuality and lesbianism, it just, it just turns my stomach. But you know what? I need to love those people too. Because they're so used to Christians saying, God hates you. You're going to hell. And they need to be shown love. If, if the Lord Jesus Christ could show love to a prostitute, could show love to a traitor to the nation of Israel, a tax collector, we need to start showing love to those in our community. Some of these rude millennial kids, vandalistic kids that run around plaster rock, we need to love them. It's so easy to wag our finger and yell at them, but they need love because they don't get shown love at home. They don't get shown love in school. And if they get shown any kind of love, it's usually of the abusive or, or lust kind. So they have a very skewed idea of what love is. So when we show love to those people that are unlovable, and it's a challenge, I'm not saying it's easy, that's when we're going to start winning people to the Lord. It's not, de it's not denying their, their wrongness. It's not denying their sin, but it's loving them in spite of their sin, loving them despite their sin. And every single one of us sitting in the pew can think of where you were before you got saved. You were unlovable. You were probably an enemy of God. You, you probably didn't even have a very good view of yourself. There was a time in my life where I could say I didn't like myself. I wasn't even unlovable to myself. But the Lord loved me anyway, and he reached down. And that dark depression that I was in, and that immorality and in that depravity that I was in, and he loved me anyway and pulled me out. We were all there at one time. Another bunny trail, but well worth it. <laughs> all right, so uh, let's move on to, uh, oh, let me read to you Hebrews 4, 7. Today, if you will hear his voice and do not harden your hearts. I think that goes well with this verse where the, where the spirit of wisdom is saying, turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit and make my words known to you. And we need to make these words known to the people of Plasterock because they have the wrong idea of what Christendom is. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. So Hebrews 4.7 goes really well. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So moving on to verse 24. Verse 24, because I called... And you refused. I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. So poor old wisdom, she's just reaching out to the foolish, to the naive, to the scoffer. She's reaching out her hand. She's calling out to them, but they're refusing. So because I called and you refused. This word called, I called, is kara, and it means to cry out, to proclaim. Um... To proclaim loud enough to hear and to be understood. 
So it's almost you, you get this you get this uh, implication that it's a pleading, that it's almost a begging. Have you ever been in a situation like that or seen a situation where you needed help and you're just begging for somebody to help you? You're begging somebody just to listen to you and to understand where you're coming from. And it's frustrating when it doesn't happen. I know a person who is going through some uh, uh, medical issues and some hard times, and they're reaching out to try to get government assistance. And it's just like talking to a brick wall, talking to some of these, these, these uh, uh, people on the phone. And then if you dare raise your voice, then they say, oh, well, you're getting hostile. You're becoming hostile. I'm not hostile. I'm frustrated because you're not listening to me because you don't understand. I'm pleading with you. I'm begging you. I'm trying to explain myself to the best of my ability, and you still don't get it. I'm begging and I'm pleading with you to help and to understand my situation. This is what wisdom is doing to the fool and to the naive and to the scoffer. I called. I cried out. I begged. I pleaded. I called, but you refused. And this refusal is a knowing and willing refusal. And when I think of this, you refused, I think of a little kid when the mother is trying to feed them something good and nutritious, and they tighten their lip, they lift their chin up, and they cross their arms, and like, mm. you're not getting that spoon in my mouth. You're not going to feed me those, that broccoli. <laughs> you refused. It's a willing, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a willful, uh, defiant refusal. Um, so it says, uh, because I called, you refused. I stretched out my hand. The word stretched is mata, and it means to, to bow or to extend downward. I think that's very interesting because it gives you a picture of where wisdom is. Wisdom is always higher than we are. Wisdom is up above. And what is, what, what is the nature of God? The nature of God is to bring us from the guttermost to the uttermost. God is always in that process of lifting us up and lifting us out. And this is a perfect word here to display that in the Hebrew. It says, I stretched out my hand. So I bowed down and extended downward my hand. It's, it, you kind of get the picture of somebody that's hanging by their fingernails on the edge of a cliff. And they're about ready to lose their grip and they're about ready to fall off. And wisdom is there laying on the edge of the cliff, extending, their, extending her arm as far as she can, reaching downward to pull that person up. And if you've ever tried to pull somebody up from an elevated position and they're down there, it's not easy. Because number one, you've got their weight, their body weight that's going against you. And you've got gravity that's not on your side in this occasion. And it's harder to pull somebody up. It's easier to pull somebody down. You know, it's, it's, it's always, it's, it, because of our fallen nature, it's always easier to be negative. Well, we've always done it this way. I don't see why we have to change. Or I can't believe that person's so dumb or so stupid. I can't believe they said that or did that. Or, you know, and just being negative. And it's hard to, to be positive and say, well, I don't quite agree with what they've done, and, but maybe I'm not understanding their logic. Maybe I'll go to them and try to straighten this out and be more positive about that instead of just, you know. Uh, so it's easier to pull down than it is to pull up. But yet that's what God does, and that's what wisdom is doing. I'm bowing, Wisdom is bowing down and extending her arm downward to pull the scoffer, the fool, the naive, the simple up. 
Because I called, you refused, and I stretched out my hand. That word hand is another very familiar word in the Hebrew. It's yad. And it literally means hand, but it also means power, authority, and strength. So wisdom is reaching out in her power, in her authority, in her strength to be able to pull somebody up from the edge of the cliff or somebody that's stuck in the muck and the mire of this world. Now, the yod is, is become almost a furnishing in Jewish synagogues. You have the Torah scroll, and it's, you know, it's a two-rolled scroll. And you know, that's, it, the, the, the Pentecost didn't coin the term holy roller. We may think so because a lot of times you hear holy roller, you think of charismatic or Pentecost rolling on the floor in the spirit. But a holy roller was the person in the synagogue that would roll up the scroll. They were a holy roller. They were, they were rolling up the holy scrolls, so they're called a holy roller. But the, 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 the Torah scroll, uh, they're handwritten. They take years to produce because you think of your entire Old Testament, somebody writing out the entire Old Testament letter for letter, word for word. And you know what? They don't have whiteout. They don't have autocorrect. You know, they don't have erasers. So if they, they have to pay special close attention to what they're doing, because if they mess up on one letter, let's say that they're at the very end of the Torah scroll. They're at the very end of the book and they're writing their last letter and they mess up. Guess what? They have to throw the entire scroll away. No joke. So they're extra careful when they write out the scroll. And when the scroll is completed, nobody touches it. So they have created this instrument called a yod, called the hand. And it's a golden scepter. And it's just got, it, no joke, it's a hand with a finger point. That's what it is. There's, a, there's a, a hand and a finger on the edge of this scepter. And they use that to keep place when they're reading the Torah. So that their fingers don't touch it because they don't want the oils in their fingers and their hands to dirty or to smudge the ink or to ruin the scroll in any way. So and that's another sidetrack there, but just thought I'd throw that little tidbit of information out there for you. But I called and you refused. I stretched out my hand. So we're seeing this as in compassion, in love, almost in urgency, like it's an emergency that wisdom has to do this because they know wisdom knows that this person is going to be lost if they don't take hold of the power and the authority that wisdom has and it says that no one paid attention so in the hebrew it's no one took heed no one regarded no one took note of the warning i can't imagine somebody hanging on the edge of the cliff just going and not be alarmed and not you know not be in in panic mode because they're in immediate and present and mortal danger. But yet, that's what wisdom's saying. It's like, you are in danger, but you don't even care. You're not even taking heed. You're not paying attention. You're not taking heed to the warning or regarding the warning. So verse 25, and you neglected all of my counsel. Now, this word neglect means to loosen and to let go to loosen and to let go. You've, you've loosened, you let go of all my counsel. Now the word counsel means to, uh, to advise with plan, purpose, and design. Oh, the word neglect also means to avoid. That's another uh, definition for that. So it says you have neglected, you have let loose, you've let go, you've avoided all. And what does all mean? All means all and that's all, right? Pretty simple. Uh, neglected all of my counsel, all of my 
wisdom, all of my advice that has a plan and a purpose and and a design. You know, it's one thing to give advice. And sometimes people give advice and it's worthless. It's useless. You're like, gosh, I don't, I don't even understand what that person said or it's useless information. How, how does that apply to my situation? Bad advice, lame advice, stupid advice. But here it says it, it, it's, it's counsel, it's etzah, which means advice with a plan, purpose, and a design. So it's not only telling you what to do, it's telling you how best to do it. And that's the best kind of advice that I like. When I'm, when I'm in need of advice and I need help, you know, like, okay, let's say, uh, you know, I, I'm not me- mechanically inclined at all. I'm not good, you know, with carpentry or plumbing or electrical work. And let's say that one of my pipes bursts and I go to Ron and I say, Ron, what do I do? Boy, you got to replace the pipe. That's my advice. Uh, duh. <laughs> it's kind of a no brainer. But w- then what if, what if Ron said, well, you need to replace the pipe. What you need to do is this. Go down to Wright and Everett's. No, people still call it that, even though it's the name's change. You need to get an you need to get an A25 elbow component. I don't even know if that's true. I'm just making it up. And you need to get that kind of pipe. And then when you get back home, you got to get this special kind of wrench. And then you turn it counterclockwise. And he's telling me exactly how to do it. And I'm like, wow, that's great advice. That's exactly what I needed to know. That's the kind of advice that wisdom is talking about here. I'm not I'm not just telling you what you need. I'm telling you how to apply it and how to live it. So it's one thing to say for Ron to tell me, well, you need a pipe for that. Well, duh. You know, what kind of pipe? How do I put it on? Where do I get it at? What size does it need to be? What tool do I need? You know, that, so it's a big difference there. Uh, And you neglect all my counsel and did not want my reproof. Now that word want uh, is, is, is the root word for love. It's, it's, uh, um, the, the word for love is ahava, and then this word want is uh, um, ava or ha'av or something like that. So it means to, to want, to desire, to, to love. So when you desire something, you love it, you want it, you crave it. So, she's, so wisdom is saying here that you didn't even love, you didn't even crave, you didn't even desire, you didn't even want my reproof. You didn't want my, my, uh, my defense, my justifiable argument. Uh, okay, so moving on here, let me read to you. Um, let me read to you Second Timothy four four, and I want to kind of link Second Timothy four four to verse twenty four and twenty five. So I should probably read that before I go to Second Timothy, because I called and you refused. I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention, and you neglected all of my counsel and did not want my reproof. So in the Apostle Paul's letter, second letter to Timothy, chapter 4, verse 4, it says, And will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. I should probably read verse 3 because it puts it in really good context. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. This is happening no quicker and no faster than on Facebook, than on social media. it's, It's almost like the social media platforms is becoming almost Nazi-ish 
in their, in their uh, censoring. If it's pro-life, if it's Christian, if it's condemning something immoral, they're going to block you. They're going to ban it. And somebody posted something on Facebook the other day, and I thought it was satire. Honest, honestly, I thought it was a joke. It says that Facebook has censored the word honk. Really? Honk. What is so offensive about honk? I know somebody can call me a honky. That doesn't bother me. Somebody will listen to honky-tonk music. But it means I can't talk about geese. I can't talk about cars. I can't talk about clowns. I can't use the word honk. I thought it was a joke, but I looked it up, and apparently it was true. I'm like, good Lord, this is crazy. It's just insanity. So anything that is sound teaching, sound doctrine, sound reproof, anything that's Judeo-Christian, anything that's, that's of any moral value, they're going to censor it. Be Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it's bizarre. But we're living in that day and age for the time will come. I mean, the Apostle Paul was very prophetic. The time will come when they will, it will not endure sound doctrine, but will want to have their ears tickled. I want you to tell me what feels good. I want you to, I want you to tell me what I want to hear. I don't want you to tell me this bad negative stuff of sin and of immorality and depravity, uh, depravity and I need to repent. I don't want to hear any of that stuff. But they will accumulate themselves teachers according to their own desires. There's a lot of TV preachers on there today. Oh, all you got to do is love. You know, and then they'll just talk about love all the time. Or they'll talk about positive, like, you know, and I'm all for positivity and I'm all for love. But they won't talk about sin. They won't talk about hell. They won't talk about uh, temptation. They won't talk about the dangerous things. They'll just say, you just got to believe in yourself. Jesus believed in you when he died on the cross, so you need to believe in yourself. And it's all this, ooh, ooh, gooey, gooey, feel goodery. Nobody wants their toes stepped on anymore. I appreciate a good toe stomping. Because if my toes are sore, it means I needed it. I needed to hear that. If it hurts and I'm wincing because somebody's telling me the truth, I need to hear it, and I want to hear it. I don't want to have my ears tickled. But people, that's what people want today. They don't want to be told that they're bad. They don't want to be told that they're sinful. They don't want to be told that something's wrong with them. That's hate speech. Don't hurt my itty-bitty snowflake feelings. They'll, they'll want to have their ears tickled, and they will accumulate themselves teachers according to their own desires. Hey, YouTube is great for that. I like this guy. I don't like this guy. I'll listen to this guy, but I won't listen to that guy. It's, the YouTube is a smorgasbord that you could pick for whatever. So you, it's easy to surround yourself with teachers that you want to hear. And you know what? I've always wondered when the day is going to come when some of my videos on YouTube will be deleted or censored because I'm telling the truth. And they'll label it as hate speech. I'm not hating anybody. I'm just telling you the truth because I love you. I don't tell you not to stick your finger in a light socket because I hate you, because I'm mad at you. I tell you not to stick your finger in a light socket because I love you and I care about you and I don't want to see you get electrocuted. That's exactly what I'm doing when I'm teaching the Word of God. What I say may not please people, may not tickle their ears, it may hurt their feelings, it may offend them, but it's because I love them, and I want them to, 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 to see the right thing. So I think that was uh, excellent of what the, the Apostle Paul said. And many will turn away their ear from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Myths! 
such as the theory of evolution. They teach it as fact, but it's a theory, which means a theory is something that they think is correct, but they just don't know for sure. They can't prove it. But yet that's what they'll teach. Oh, creationism. <laughs> that's silly and arcane. But we came from an amoeba, and then we turned into frogs, and then we turned into fish, and, and grew legs, and went on on land, and then we turned into this monkey, and lo and behold, we're mankind now. T to me, it takes as much faith to be an evolutionist as it takes to be a creationist. You, it takes the same amount of faith to believe that we came from a glob of goo and turned into a monkey and then turned into a human being. And then there's the, there's the Big Bang Theory. Again, it's a theory. It can't be proven, but yet they're teaching it as fact. And that's what, that's what the Apostle Paul says. They're going to turn away from the truth and turn to myths. It's exactly what we're doing today, folks. All right. Um, ooh, this might be a good place to stop because 26, verse 26, kind of uh, change, wisdom changes her tune. So wisdom here is begging and pleading and, and, and just giving all she's got to try to win the, the foolish person, the naive person, the, the scoffer. And then they refuse her. And she's like, okay, I've done all I can. Now I'm going to change my tune and you're not going to like my tune. So we're just going to stop right there and pick it up next week in verse 26. I think that's a good, good stopping point. So before we close, does anybody have any, uh, any questions? About what we learned today? Going once. Going twice. All right, let's close in prayer. Oh, God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. Lord, I think you, you are our Heavenly Father. And I think of my parents. Sometimes I was a bad boy. I said or did things that I shouldn't have done. And guess what? I got a spanking. I got grounded. I got scolded. I got a reprimand. I got a lecture. And it wasn't what I wanted to hear. And it didn't feel good. And it wasn't nice. And, I'm, and I was even a little mad at my parents. They spanked me. I'm going to pack my bags and I'm going to run away. But Lord, as an adult, I look back upon the discipline that my parents gave me. And I tell you, every spanking I got, I deserved. And even if I didn't deserve it, it probably made up for a time I got away with something. <laughs> so Lord, I know that my parents disciplined me and spanked me only because they love me. And it seemed, it seemed harsh and bad at the time. It's not what I wanted to hear. But Lord, as I mature and as I grew, grow, uh, grew up, I understand that sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes the truth is not nice, and sometimes the truth is painful. But it's needful. It's necessary. I mean, resetting a bone isn't nice, but it's necessary if the bone is going to heal and the limb is going to heal correctly. Getting stitches isn't nice. It hurts. It's painful. But, it, but, but it's necessary to close that wound so it doesn't get infected. And so, Lord, we, we love you, and we, we, you're so good to us. Even when you discipline us, you discipline us in love. Sometimes it may seem a little harsh. Sometimes we may question what you're doing. But, Lord, you do it because you love us and because that correction and that reproof brings life, and it, and it makes us better. It's just like taking a, a chunk of gold that you just dug out of the ground and melting it in a furnace 
And when you melt it in a furnace, that's a really harsh process, but all the impurities come to the top. And we get to scoop away the impurities and come out with a pure chunk of gold. And Lord, sometimes it, we feel the heat when you're disciplining us, when you're chastising us, when wisdom is correcting us. We feel the heat. But Lord, now we know, we're wise enough to know that it's painful, it hurts, it's not fun, but it's getting rid of the impurities in our life. And after the rebuke of wisdom and after the, the reaching out of wisdom and we accept that, we become a better person because of it. And I'm a better person because my parents chose to discipline me. I'm a better person because I choose to submit to your discipline, Lord. So, Father, help us as we read your word. When you convict us and when you show us your word and show us areas that we need to change, that we would willingly and lovingly submit, that we would do an about-face, a 180, and turn from our sin and our wicked ways and our misguided directions, and we would turn back towards you, turn, turn back towards your word, and turn back towards the source. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we praise you, and we ask and give praise for, for these things and give thanks in Yeshua's name. Amen. The Plaster Rock United Baptist Church. Come join us every Sunday morning at 11 a.m.